0: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode of Season 3. To kick off Season 3, we will be looking at The Last of the Mohicans in Canadian history. The Last of the Mohicans is a 1992 film starring Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe, directed by Michael Mann, and based on the book of the same name by James Fenimore Cooper. It came out to rave reviews and is one of my personal favorite movies of all time. However, we're not here to do a movie review. What we're here to do is find out how that movie relates to Canadian history, because its plot certainly takes place in one of the most formative periods in the history of not only what becomes Canada, but all of North America. A reminder, you can always find us on a number of different platforms. You can find us on Facebook and SoundCloud just by searching Cool Canadian History. And if you go to our Facebook page, please give us a like and a follow. You can, of course, find us on iTunes Podcast just by searching Cool Canadian History, where our podcasts are all available for free. You can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S, And of course, you can find us on our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And on our homepage, and also on Facebook, you can find two links, one to PayPal and one to Patreon. Both links allow you to donate to the podcast and are safe and secure. Every donation is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. So let us begin with the year. The movie takes place in 1757, one year into one of the most significant wars in the history of the Western world, the Seven Years' War, from 1756 to 1763. Now, the Seven Years' War was won in a continuation of European dynastic conflicts that had been raging since the last half of the 17th century. Most of these wars centered around the intense and violent British-French rivalry. You see, the British by the mid-18th century, were on their way to becoming the global power, backed, of course, by their dominant navy. The French, who had been the global power at the end of the 17th century, were not going to let the British rule the world unchallenged. Thus, a series of wars erupted over dynastic claims not just within Europe, but in the growing European empires around the world. Now, what is fascinating about the Seven Years' War is not only was it in many ways a truly global war, with conflict erupting in Asia, India, and North America, not to mention all of Europe, but it was a war that was triggered by events in North America. In fact, in North America, the war is more often than not called the French-Indian War, and the opening year set at 1754, not 1756. You see, in 1754, the British had captured the French Fort Beausjour on the modern-day border of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. If you want to learn more about that battle, feel free to go back to Season 1, Episode 13, More Like Fort Brokendore, the Battle of Fort Beausjour. Now that same year, 1754, a British force led by a young man named George Washington, whom I'm sure none of you have ever heard of, defeated a French force at the Battle of Jumonville Glen in what was then called the Ohio Territory. The battle actually took place in what is now Pennsylvania. In fact, after this battle, George Washington was forced to construct a defensive position known famously as Fort Necessity because a French native force bent on revenge was bearing down on him. George Washington, in fact, surrendered the fort and recognized French authority over the Ohio Territory, a recognition that would never be approved by the British. When word of these two actions reached Europe, both the French and British sent fleets to the continent, loaded with men and weapons. This escalated into full declarations of war, and the Seven Years' War officially began. The conclusion of the Seven Years' War would see the French all but eliminated from North America, with British possessions stretching from Georgia in the south, up to Nova Scotia, across to Newfoundland, and now including the new colony of Quebec, not to mention a very large tract of the interior around Hudson's Bay, known as Rupert's Land. Okay, so that is the conflict in a nutshell that sets the backdrop for the plot line, but an obvious question remains, who are the Mohicans and why is this about the last of them? Well, the title of the movie is a touch misleading, as we have no proof that Uncas, the adopted father of Daniel Day-Lewis' character, was in fact the last Mohican in North America. But we do know a bit about the Mohican people. The Mohicans were a tribe living near modern-day Albany, New York, on the banks of the Hudson River. In fact, it was Mohicans who traded with Henry Hudson when he first traveled on the river that now bears his name in 1609. The Mohicans were some of the first people to suffer at the hands of the Mohawk during the 17th century Beaver Wars, a decades-long conflict that saw an alliance of Iroquois-speaking peoples, led by the Mohawk, expand their territorial control over a vast region stretching from the Great Lakes into modern-day New York. The Mohicans were in fact pushed out of their traditional territory and forced to move further east because of Iroquois expansion. The Beaver Wars resulted in the Iroquois gaining significant control over the continental fur trade while either destroying, removing, or adopting significant numbers of enemy nations. The Iroquois were so successful during the Beaver Wars and became so powerful that they eventually defeated many of the nations allied to the French, particularly the Wendat peoples, and turned their attention to attacking French settlements in New France, much of modern-day southern Quebec. The Iroquois threat would be the most significant threat to the survival of New France until almost the end of the 17th century. Now let's talk about another native character in the movie. The main antagonist in the film is a native warrior named Magua. The British believe Magua is a Mohawk scout and thus trust him as an ally. Yet Magua turns on the British and fights on the side of the French. As well, As he makes clear later in the movie, he is actually a Huron warrior who became blood brother to the Mohawk to escape captivity. This twist can create confusion for the person new to this period of colonial history, so let's break it down. The reason the Seven Years' War is often called the French-Indian Wars is that the natives in regions settled by Europeans and in the borderlands around European settlements played a huge significant role in the fighting on the continent. Generally speaking, there were two main alliance groups. The British had allied themselves with a powerful confederacy of Iroquois-speaking peoples. This was known as the Six Nations. It included Mohawk, Onondaga, Oneida, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora peoples. This was a powerful military and political confederacy that was generally led by the Mohawk, who were some of the most feared warriors in all of North America. The French had allied themselves with a group that history has called the Huron. The Huron are, in fact, a European title, improperly given to the Wendat peoples, a very populous group that lived around the Great Lakes and into modern-day Ontario towards Georgian Bay. Now, the Wendat were also an Iroquois-speaking people, so this can get kind of confusing when you talk about the Iroquois fighting the French. Though alliances often shifted, This was the most common alliance for much of the 17th and early 18th century. Thus, when Magua turns on the British and fights for the French, he is actually representing a long-standing alliance between the French and Wendat in their struggle against the British for continental control. Now, one of the most poignant scenes of the entire movie, besides the brilliant ending sequence, is the ambush after the fall of Fort William Henry. The British had surrendered the fort to the French, and as they were marching away from it, they came under attack by a native force led by Magua. Now, the attack was a real event, and a significant victory for the French, though clouded in controversy. You see, the Battle of Fort William Henry is also known as the Massacre at Fort William Henry. The fort itself was built in 1755, and was situated on the southern shores of Lake George in upstate New York. The fort stood at the southern end of what is known as the Champlain Corridor, a series of rivers and lakes that basically connected Montreal to modern-day upstate New York. It had been a natural invasion highway for militaries going both north and south since long before the Europeans arrived. If the French could capture the fort, they could essentially block off this key corridor from a British advance towards Montreal. The French thus launched a siege of the fort in March of 1757. As the siege dragged out into the summer, the French were able to dig concentric lines of trenches protecting their cannons as they got closer and closer to the walls of Fort William Henry. By August of 1757, the French guns were only 900 yards out, and Fort William Henry was battered relentlessly. Soon, its walls were destroyed, many of the British cannon were out of action, and the British wounded and dead were piling up. It was on 8th of August that the British accepted the French terms of surrender, and Fort William Henry was handed over to the French. Now here is where things get complicated. The movie portrays the French leader, the Marquis de Montcalm, as complicit in the ensuing slaughter, though evidence suggests this was far from the truth. Unlike what is portrayed in the movie, an ambush in a clearing, the native warriors allied to the French began to harass the British almost immediately after the surrender. In fact, Montcalm posted French guards to protect the wounded and the civilians, but these guards were generally ineffective. Some by choice, but many simply because the native warriors harassing the British outnumbered the French guards. As the British marched out of the fort on 10th of August, various bands of native warriors attacked, even though Montcalm and other French officers tried to stop them. Simply put, the decentralized nature of native command, each small group or band having its own leader and making its own decisions, made it almost impossible for Montcalm to stop the attacks, unless he literally established a large and permanent French escort force something he was obviously not willing to do. Eventually, the British column that was marching away from the fort disintegrated under these constant attacks, and most soldiers were forced to flee in small groups and fight their way to safety at Fort Edward, about 26 kilometers to the south. So unlike the concentrated attack we see in the film, it was actually a series of small, uncoordinated attacks that wore down the British as well, Though the movie portrays an absolute native victory, reality paints a bit of a different picture. It certainly was a devastating blow to the British, but not as absolute as is portrayed in the film. Recent scholarship has shown that somewhere around 7-8% to of the 2,300 British soldiers and civilians were killed or went missing in the attacks. It actually could have been much higher, but Montgomery was able to get 500 British prisoners returned, though 200 remained doomed to their fate. At this point, it is worth talking about Montcalm himself. Louis-Joseph de Montcalm-Gosan, Marquis de Saint-Vérin, was born near Nîmes, France in 1712. He was, in many ways, an excellent French military commander who, in the opening years of the Seven Years' War, led the French to a series of victories over the British in North America. Montcalm arrived in New France in 1756, essentially with the mandate to carry out operations against the British, and he was quite successful. He led a number of attacks into Ohio Territory, so the region south of the Great Lakes, and captured a number of key British forts, including, of course, Fort William Henry. Yet Montcalm suffered from two serious problems. The British always outnumbered the French, and the British Navy made it near impossible for the French to resupply and reinforce. By 1758, the tide began to turn in North America, and more and more British soldiers and supplies began arriving, while the French struggled to get past the British Navy blockading most of the Atlantic coast. Montcalm would meet his fate at the Battle of the Plains of Abraham in September 1759. You see, it was here, just outside the walls of Quebec City, that he rode out to meet the British in open battle. For five months, the British had laid siege to the city, and Montcalm, his French soldiers, French-Canadian militia, native warriors, and civilians were suffering from lack of food and rampant disease while stuck behind the impregnable walls of the Great Fortress. When Montcalm led his army outside the walls on September 13th, it was to end in his defeat. Montcalm himself was shot multiple times on the battlefield and would die soon after. Thus, the man who seemed, for a brief period, to be turning the tide in the French-Indian wars, would suffer defeat and death in one of the most famous battles in all of Canadian history. After the battle, the British would march into Quebec City unopposed. On Once the British were in, they stayed for good. So what we have is a fantastic piece of cinema, that actually weaves its narrative through a crucial period in early Canadian history, a period that saw the passing of powerful First Nation tribes as Europeans fought for and asserted control of the continent, a period that would see the British win and establish the very early foundations of what would become the country of Canada. As Uncas says in the final scene of the film's director's cut, The frontier place is now for people like my white son and his woman and their children. And one day there will be no more frontier, and men like you will go too, like the Mohicans. And new people will come, work, struggle, some will make their life. But once, we were here.